0: Hello, there you go. Cool, thank you. Um, yeah, thank you very much for this opportunity again to, to preach. Um, just a heads up, we will probably go a little bit longer. <laughs> so I don't know if we need to let the uh, children's ministry know at all in advance. Um, but the first thing I'd actually like to do is just give a great big thank you to all of the people who volunteer and serve here at East Parkway, every every Sunday, every month, um, from our greeters, hospitality team, our children's ministry, of course, nursery, our AV team, we have prayer teams, missions committee, uh, Jeannie who runs our library, our ushers, our elders, our prayer partners, our maintenance, our worship team, everyone. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, thank you. <laughs> Okay, so let's go ahead and dive in. If you guys have a Bible uh, or your Bible app, please open it to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to begin at verse 25. Now just a little bit of context, this is coming from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, He's preaching near the Sea of Galilee. He's just spent the 40 days in the wilderness, and he's already picked up just a few of his first disciples. Now he's already... Talked a little bit about um, how to give, how to pray, how to fast, and he also talked about how we should view our earthly possessions. And then that is what brings us now to verse 25. This is why I tell you don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all of his splendor, was adorned like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the idolaters eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray for God's word. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for being able to gather together as one body to honor and to worship you. And as we meditate on your word this morning, please give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And give us a willing spirit to put all of our trust and all of our hope in you. You are capable of all things, and we know that only you have all authority now and forever. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Now, I don't know if some of you are aware of this, but there has been an infectious disease that has been spreading recently. Some of the symptoms can include restlessness, tension, headaches, aggression, anxiety, depression, and even paralysis. And people of all ages are vulnerable to this disease, and it's been shown that it can spread from person to person without any physical contact. And sadly, some people are more prone to being infected than others are, whereas a smaller portion of the population is more immune. And the, the most dangerous part about this disease is that the victim often doesn't even realize that they've been infected, and then they go on to infect other people. Now, this debilitating disease is fear. Fear spreads from person to person, and if it's not dealt with, it will continue to grow stronger and stronger. This leads to anger, aggression, anxiety, and irrationality. Fear leads us to paralysis of the mind and the body. It stops us from taking action, and it prevents us from speaking. Recently, Time Magazine published an article in January of this year with the title, Why Americans Are More Afraid Than They Used To Be. The article discusses a range of topics, including the strategic use of fear in political ads. Now, back in 1964, Lyndon Johnson released what is known as the first fear-based political ad, and it's been named the Daisy ad, and I'd actually like to play that ad for you this morning. (laughs) Pretty ridiculous, yeah. It's funny watching that ad. However, that ad worked, and Johnson was elected president. People were afraid of what might happen if he wasn't elected. The stakes are too high to stay at home. That sounds like something we could hear today, doesn't it? Now, when Americans were polled last year, and they were asked how afraid they were of being attacked by terrorists— more than 50% said they were very worried. Now this is only slightly lower than the fear levels just after September 11th in 2001. And it's actually higher than our fear levels back in 1995 after the Oklahoma City bombing. But it's not just global terrorism that we're afraid of. We're afraid of lots of things. How many people are afraid of shark attacks? Am I the only one? Yeah. I think about shark attacks. If I'm on a boat, or even if I'm like on the beach just looking at the ocean, I think about the shark attacks. But it's irrational. Did you know that millions of people visit our beaches each and every year, and there's a total of 19 shark attacks each year? And out of those 19, there's one fatality about every two years. But I still worry about it. I don't know why. Again, irrational. We also have disease epidemic scares. How many people remember the Ebola outbreak in West Africa back in 2014? Thousands of people died in West Africa. Now, this is largely due due to a lack of medical supplies or medical facilities. And some of those medical facilities that they did have had very unsanitary conditions, which exacerbated the the problem. Now, Americans were afraid that an outbreak would happen here as well. It was on the news every day. And I remember when we had the first confirmed case of Ebola here in the United States. People were freaking out. Media icons... We're saying that if doctors get infected while helping Ebola patients over there, that they should not be allowed back into the United States. And what was the end result? A total of nine people, nine confirmed cases here in the U.S., two, only two of which actually became infected here in the United States, and both those people were nurses that were helping other patients. So of those nine people... Two people died. We had all that panic, all that hysteria, all the media coverage. There was never any outbreak. Not even close. So why does this happen? Why does it seem like things are getting worse? And not just in America, but around the world. It seems like violence is on the rise. Like more people are getting sick like the foods we eat are, aren't safe and the products we use are killing us, and so on. I don't know how many times I've heard Christians say something to the effect of, it really feels like we're living in the end times. I think that Jesus is going to come back soon because it can't get much worse than this. We like looking back at simpler times, right? We say things were way better way back when. But is any of that true? Are things really getting worse? And more importantly, should we be afraid? Well, when we read Matthew chapter 6, verse 27, where it says, Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? Some translations will say, Add a single hour to his life. Clearly, Jesus is saying worrying is pointless. And he takes it one step further and says, Don't worry. So let's shift gears for just a moment. How many people have been to the Crocker Art Museum in downtown Sacramento? That's a good number of hands. I love going to the Crocker Art Museum. One of my favorite things to do, I love going to, to the, the really large paintings that they have. Some of them are like 10 feet wide or, or bigger. And I love getting up really, really close to these paintings, because sometimes the artists, they include small details that you would totally miss unless you got really, really close. I also like looking at the brush strokes that the artist uses, especially when you look at the impressionist style paintings each brushstroke is kind of weaving in to the next one. And as important as it is to inspect these paintings up close, to look at all the details, eventually, you do have to take a few steps back so that you can look at the larger picture and take it all in. And that's what I want us to do this morning. We need to take a few steps back we need to look at the larger picture and see if things really are getting worse in this world, if our fears really are justified, and what our response as believers in Christ needs to be. So the first thing we should do is to see what God says about fear and worrying, right? So when you read the Bible from beginning to end, you'll see similar themes, certain phrases that are used over and over again such as do not be afraid or fear not. Isaiah 41:10 says, "Do not fear, afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand." God is saying, "Don't worry. I've got this. And intellectually, we know this. We know that God is in control and that we need to place our trust in him. But that doesn't stop us from being worried. We still look around at all the bad things that are happening in our country and around the world, and we can't help that fear from growing inside of us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul warns us about doing just that. In verse 7, he says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, there's no reason to worry about the things we see, because our hope and our trust is in what's not seen. Philippians 4 6 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Now Paul wrote those words. He wrote those words in prison. Don't worry about anything." I wish I could have a conversation with Paul about that particular verse. I'd say, "Paul, what exactly do you mean when you say, "Don't worry about anything?" I'm not sure how more clear I could be, really. Um, Don't worry about anything. Okay, gotcha. Um, Just a few quick clarifications, though. Um, So when you say don't worry about anything, does that include things like terrorism? Because I don't know if you know this, but there are some really, really bad people out there, and they are doing some really, really bad things, and it's super, super scary. So... What about that, though? Yeah, don't worry about that either. Don't worry about anything. Okay, um, next one. Uh, What what about diseases, though? Again, some really, really bad diseases out there, and people are just getting sick all the time, and, you know, I try to be so careful and and live healthy, but you just never know. You could just get sick randomly. Um, What about that? Yeah, that too. Don't worry about that either. Okay. All right. I hear you. I'm going to take that one as a maybe. Um, So uh, last one. Last one. um, Kind of a hot topic right now. What about politics? Because, you know, I don't know if you've been following this political race recently. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and stop you right there. Don't worry about that either. Don't worry about politics. Anything. How do we do that? Ansine. <laughs> so, how do we do that? How do we stop worrying like Paul tells us? Well, again, I think a good way is to take a step back. Let's look at the larger picture. We're going to start by looking at the Christian faith in the early years, the very early years. Back in 64 AD, that's really yeah. It's like oh, he really meant it. Yeah. Back in 64 AD, Emperor Nero accused the Christians of starting the fire that burned nearly three quarters of Rome. So as a result, he gathered up as many Christians as he could and executed them. Many executed in a very horrific manner. Many killed in the Colosseums. Others burned alive. And then, by 312 A.D., Emperor Constantine comes, and he kills the current uh, emperor at that time, and he then legalizes Christianity. So, before that, you could be killed just by being a Christian. And then, when the year 400 A.D. comes around, you could actually be killed for not being a Christian. And Christianity has gone in and out of popularity, with the rise and fall of different emperors. But today, Christianity is the dominant religion in the world. One third of the planet is Christian, and it's been that way for at least the last century. But what about all the people who are leaving the church and our nation is moving away from Christian values and church attendance is dropping? Doesn't that, doesn't that prove that things are getting worse? Well, that's not the whole story. Some people believe that there are fewer Christians because more people are identifying themselves as non-Christian because they never really were Christian to begin with, and they're just labeling themselves a bit more honestly. However, when you do look at church attendance, it is down from where it was about 100 years ago. But Christianity is actually growing tremendously in other continents, like Africa and Asia. In fact, one out of four Christians on the planet live in Africa right now. And the Pew Research Center estimates that that is going to grow To 40% by the year 2030. Asia is also experiencing tremendous growth. Just in the last century, Christianity grew at twice the rate of population in that continent. Asia's Christian population of 350 million is expected to grow to 460 million by the year 2025. That is just nine years from today. So when you look at Christianity and the global population, we're roughly the same size as we were 100 years ago. It's just shifted to different countries. Now, we can look at this as a positive and a negative, because on the bright side, Christianity is not on the decline. Not at all. However, we're, the same, we're in the same spot we were about 100 years ago, so it's also not growing like we would like to. But let's continue our look at the larger picture. If we're going to look at all the bad things that happen in our country and around the world, we need to take some time to look at the good things, too. Because there are a lot of good things going on around our world. And we miss it when all we do is look at the negative side. So I've got good news. I've made a short list of things that are getting much, much better. There you go. Good news. Number one, child mortality rates are at an all-time low. For those of you who don't know, child mortality rates refer to the percentage of children age five and under who die unexpectedly either through disease or through a lack of resources. And right now, in wealthy countries such as America, that number is far below 1%. In early modern times, church mortality, uh, sorry, child mortality rates were actually very high. Just in 18th century Sweden, every third child died. In 19th century Germany, every second child died. Child mortality around the world is declining rapidly. The global child mortality rate fell from 18% in 1960 to just 4.3% in 2015. That is huge. Number two, malaria deaths are down. Malaria is easily one of the biggest killers of humans in all of history. Since the beginning of the 21st century, The World Health Organization has published global estimates of the number of people that die from malaria. And in just the last 15 years, that number has been cut in half. It went from 839,000 deaths in the year 2000, 839,000 in the year 2000, down to 438,000 by the year 2015. That's a big deal. Number three, global poverty is down. When I was born in 1981, half of the world lived in absolute poverty. Absolute poverty means that you are living on between $1 and $2 a day. That was half the world's population. Today, that number is around 14%. Number four, the homicide rate in America... Is down. It's actually at a 50 year low. Now, some cities are currently experiencing a small incline in homicides, but overall, when you look at the entire country, we live in one of the safest times ever. Number five, divorce rates are down. The divorce rate has actually been declining since the year 2000. That's awesome. Number six, global life expectancy rates are at their highest. In 1960, the global life expectancy rate was 52 years old, but today it's 71. In the U.S., it used to be 70 years, but now it's 79. So we're living longer. By contrast, in Afghanistan, back in 1960, the average life expectancy rate was 32 years old. But today, it's 60. There are so many things that are better today than they were just 100 years ago, 50 years ago, even 10 years ago. I wish Jim Cookson were here. He would appreciate this next part. Take (laughs) penicillin. For example, okay, easily one of the greatest medical breakthroughs of our time. It wasn't even discovered until 1928. My grandmother was born in 1915. That is crazy to me. They didn't even use penicillin on people until 1941. Before that, doctors did not have an effective treatment for infections such as pneumonia, gonorrhea, or rheumatic fever. Today, deaths by bacterial infections is 1 20th of what it used to be in the early 1900s. But it's so commonplace now, we don't even think about it. Today's medicine is making huge, huge breakthroughs. Did you know that we now have an HIV vaccine, and they are testing it this year in South Africa? that has the potential to save millions of lives. Do you guys remember that hole in the ozone layer that they discovered back in the 70s? That hole makes us more susceptible to skin cancer. But there's good news. Because just recently, like in the last couple of years, they found evidence that that hole is finally shrinking. It's healing itself. Yay! (laughs) Now these things are just the tip of the iceberg. We could talk all day about the things that are getting better. But the problem is that we don't pay attention to those things. We give all of our focus to the bad things that are happening around us. And this leads us to worry about everything. And it makes us believe that things are only getting worse. But that's not the life that God wants for us. He doesn't want us living in fear, worrying about the things that the world wants us to worry about. Paul wrote in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Fear is the opposite of joy, peace, and goodness. Let me be very, very clear right now. Fear is dangerous. It's one of Satan's tools that we very often overlook. We know that Satan uses temptation. We know that he uses jealousy. But fear is the most cunning because he's convinced us that God wants us to worry about these things, that our fears are natural and that they're justified. We only fear so much and we're only afraid so much because we care so much about these issues, right? Or could it be that you have fear because it distracts you? It distracts you from God's purpose for you distracts you from doing the things that God wants you to do, such as love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love each other the way that he loves you. I love how this is beautifully summed up in 2 Timothy 1, seven. It might be my new favorite verse. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, Love and sound judgment. When Wayne asked me about preaching again, I asked God what message we needed to hear today. And as I thought and I prayed about it, this issue kept coming up again and again. I see it every day on social media, I hear it in our conversations with friends, with family, church members. I see that fear growing stronger and stronger. And I think, is this what God wants for us? Should we be taking part in this? Shouldn't we be setting a different example? Shouldn't our lives be so different that the world can't help take notice? I mean, isn't that part of the gospel? Because remember, gospel means good news. Our job while we're here on earth is to share the good news. That's it. And we become ineffective at sharing that good news when we live with fear inside of us. As Paul wrote, the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, and joy. And that is eaten away by fear. So, as we wrap up this morning, I want to leave you with three steps to cutting fear out of your life to live in peace, love, and joy. Number one, cut out the cause of your fears. What in your life is adding fear and worry? Is it newspapers? Is it social media? Is it news radio? We need to evaluate and see if, are these just neutral sources of information that's just keeping us up to date, local news, global news, or is it just fueling those feelings of anger, fueling the anxiety, fueling that fear? It is very easy to become addicted to these news sources. And we lie to ourselves and say we just want to be well informed. Now, I'm certainly not advocating that we remain ignorant. I am not doing that at all. It's just too often they become addictions and they rob us of peace. Number two seek out what is good. It's no secret that news outlets report more bad news than good news. And it's not because there's more bad news. It's because they know that you are more likely to consume it. In other words, bad news is good for business. But a steady diet of only bad news only serves to grow that fear and anxiety inside of your life. And there are plenty, plenty of good things going on locally, nationally, and internationally. If you want to live a life of peace and joy, then you need to start filling it with the things that will help make that grow. You just need to look, and I promise you, you will find it. And lastly, and most importantly, number three... Don't just acknowledge that God is in control. Live a life that reflects that truth. We seem to just give lip service to the fact that God is in control. But we rarely live our lives like we really believe it. How many times have you said, or heard someone else say, I know God is in control, but... But I'm still worried about this election. But I'm still afraid of the direction our country is headed. But we still need to do something about this right now. But in this situation, it's more important that I protect my family. But what if... But what? Do you think that God can't turn this country around in an instant if He wanted to? Do you think that God needs your help to do it? Do you think that God can't use unbelievers to accomplish His will? Do you think that God can't use really bad people to create good outcomes? how small is the god that you worship Matthew 28:18 Jesus says All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me All authority Thank you. Matthew 28:18. A friend of mine wrote this excerpt recently and I could not think of a better way to say it, so I am simply going to read now what he wrote. Jesus Christ is on the throne, and that makes all the difference. It doesn't matter what happens in this election cycle. It doesn't matter if our banks implode. It doesn't matter if China buys us up. It doesn't matter if we have a fool in the White House. It doesn't matter if it looks like America's golden years are over. It doesn't matter unless Jesus says it matters. Nothing is up for grabs. Nothing is randomly happening. Nothing is out of control. The enemy isn't winning. The world isn't spiraling into chaos. Why? Because Jesus is in charge. Job 12.10 says, The life of every living thing is in his hand. As well as the breath of all mankind. Please do not just acknowledge that God is in control. Live a life that reflects it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for holding us in your hands at all times. You are our strength and our protector. We know that you are working in the lives and in the lives of the people around us, both near and far. But Father, it is difficult sometimes to not be afraid. So we ask that you help us, help keep our eyes open fixed on you and to not be distracted by the things of this world. Help us to find rest in the knowledge that you are in control of all things in heaven and on earth. Amen.